We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Would you turn with me to Esther chapter 2 this morning? Appreciate Brother Drew's reading of chapter 1 last week. This morning we'll be in chapter 2. Find Ezra, or excuse me, Esther, uh, right after the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. If that helps you some. Small book. Esther chapter 2. says, beginning in verse 1, After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, remember he was angry at the queen, Vashti, he remembered Vashti, that she, what she had done and what he had, had been decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint officer, officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's quarters under the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young, women who pleases, the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This king pleased the king, and he did so. In Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, of Jer, the son of Shimshai, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it was, when the king's command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Hegai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace, into the care of Hegai, the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. So he readily gave her beauty preparations to her, besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. <clears throat> Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months' preparation, according to the regulations for the women, for thus were the days of their preparation apportioned, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the woman's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women. 
to the custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch, who kept the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Hegai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bichthon and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. That's not an instruction for how we do things today. Uh, that is, uh, well, when you have pagan people, what do you expect? They're going to do pagan things. Uh, but it is interesting how God providentially guided the outcome of the circumstance so that it was seemingly a highly unlikely result occurred. We are very grateful today to have uh, Hector Garcia and his wife with us and their two children. Um, I didn't know Hector too well, uh, though we ran into each other a number of times at the seminary in Detroit uh, over the years uh, when he was there and I was there. Um, and uh, I don't even remember, did we have any classes together? You probably have a better memory than I do on that, no. But, uh, so I, I don't think I taught our brother over there. Uh, but anyway, we got a good introduction this morning to their ministry. Uh, many of you were here and saw the video and uh, heard the updates and the Q&A session, and it was just excellent for us to get to know what's, uh, what's going on there and their ministry at the uh, uh, Bible College slash university, as you now call it. <laughs> That's kind of funny when, uh, when a, a name change has to occur because of some regulation, but we know what we're doing. We're instructing uh, the next generation of Bible uh, teachers, gospel ministers, and uh, and that's what our brother's doing there, and we're grateful for that. Um, so we all, you know, often when missionaries come, I will ask them to take both the Sunday school and the morning worship service for a couple of reasons. One, so they have more time. Uh, I don't need to uh, hog this uh, sacred desk here. And also so that we can see a little bit about their ministry and also hear 
uh, our brother, the missionary, preach the word and see how they do because we, uh, we want to support missionaries that do handle the word well. And so we're looking forward to our brother doing that. I'm sure he will. And uh, so I want you all to put on ears that hear what God says to the church today through our servant, the minister of God, Hector Garcia. God bless you, brother. Please come on up. Give us the word. Uh, if you go till noon, people will rejoice. If you go to 12.10 or 12.15 like I do, then they'll feel about t- toward you like they feel toward me. Like, get this over with, right? Thank you. <laughs> no, take whatever time you need. <laughs> Oof. I just got very pressured just now. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll finish on time. You know what they say that uh, preachers uh, say, they usually say two lies. Um, I will be brief, and I'm almost done. <laughs> so I'm going to try to avoid those this morning. So, um, but, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. So, um, um, it, it, just as a little quick, uh, I guess, note, uh, if you want, at the end, you can take one of our prayer cards. Our, our um, email address is there if you want to email us, you want to receive our updates or something. And our Facebook also, I mean, you know, Facebook is a group, I mean, it can make it waste a lot of time, but it's also a good tool. Uh, we, um, uh, you know, we post a lot of updates, photos and stuff that you couldn't see otherwise. Uh, videos and things that are going on every day there. So you can always add us on Facebook. Um, it's easy. Just find my name, Hector Garcia or Paula Garcia. Or either we have a little Facebook page called the Garcias in Zambia. Um, that also can be something you can uh, look up. All right. And then you can see what the Lord is doing in, in, in Africa. Uh, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to Matthew chapter 8? Matthew chapter 8. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 22. Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 to 22. I hope, um, I hope you'll follow me along. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously, Spanish is my first language. Then I learned uh, American English, but uh, then I went to Zambia. And uh, I got a mix of everything, every accent you can think of, because it's British English. Then it's mixed with the local language and the influence of the local language. And I'm trying to speak one of the local languages there as well. So, uh, you know, I hope I'll be clear this morning, you know. Um, so, you know, I'm always, uh, my students, and oh, not my students, but people, they're always talking about the gift of tongues. Almost everybody in Africa claims to have the gift of tongues. All right, so they mean something different. I don't have it, so let's, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's look at the text and hopefully it will be clear. Um, so I'd like to talk to you this morning about the cost of discipleship, the cost of being a disciple of Jesus, the cost of discipleship. And so uh, all of us have um, or know somebody, or maybe you are that person, hopefully not, but all of us know somebody that uh, when you look at their lives, they, they profess Christ, right? You look at their lives and you're like, eh, I'm not so sure, right? You probably have a family member, a relative, a son, maybe a daughter or your spouse or somebody close to you that you really want to believe that they know Jesus Christ because you, I mean, you're very hopeful, right? You don't want to see them, you know, lost in their sins. Um, And they profess Christ, but you look at their lives and there's 
Christ is probably just an accessory, right, that they wear as they wear in, in their lives. And so you wonder, what, what is Christianity for them? What, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And what does it cost you to follow Jesus Christ? And so in this passage that we're going to look at, Matthew is going to speak to us about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. And so before we read the passage, I want to, I want to tell you where we are. We, Matthew, remember Matthew 5 to 7, Jesus preaches the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of humanity. And that is the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so the sermon ends with, G- with, the, with the people saying, this one preaches like one with authority, right? Not like the Pharisees and the scribes. So they are amazed at his teaching. And so we get to chapter 8, and he's performing some miracles here. So he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then he's going to sh- he's gonna show the miracle of how he calms the storm, Right? Um, how Jesus calmed the storm. But in between that, he makes a parenthesis. Jesus is about to get on the boat where the storm is going to hit. And, and Matthew takes this opportunity. And Jesus does, of course, to, to teach us something about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so that's where we are um, in, in, in this section. And um, we're going to look at this passage. Um, but, but what Matthew wants to teach us here is to teach us that... Um, Jesus want to make it, makes it, Jesus makes it clear that the path of discipleship is not a smooth and easy path. It's not a bed of roses. The narrow road on which we walk does not, does not mean that it's all going to be smooth and easy. The Christianity presented by Jesus Christ and by the Gospels is not 21st century Christianity. Jesus, I like to use this term, Jesus is radical. When he calls us to follow him, he is radical. He says, you do this and you will be my disciple. You don't, you won't be my disciple. Jesus is radical and he's going to be very radical here in this passage. And this um, is not the Jesus of the 21st century, but it is the Jesus of the Bible. And so we're going to look at what the passage says. Look at verse 18 to 22. Matthew eight eighteen to twenty two. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment. He gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So Jesus is going to teach us about discipleship. But what is a disciple? We've got to understand what it is. Um, I always tell my students, definitions are very important. Always go back to definitions. And so we, when we think of discipleship, we really think about sometimes we do a discipleship program, right? We read a book together and we're learning slowly, right? But when they heard the word disciple, um, it was a different concept. They didn't have schools in the old times like we do today. Um, and in order for you to learn and be educated, you had to place yourself under the authority of a teacher, a rabbi. So you would pick a rabbi, and if you decided to study and train under him, you would have to follow him, live with him, eat with him, walk with him, submit 
to Him, accept His teachings, and the greatest aspiration of your life would be to be like your master, like your rabbi, like your teacher. So you found a rabbi and you would follow him. right? And so you would have to leave everything behind to follow the rabbi. You would have to leave everyone behind to follow that teacher. And you would live with him. And so in this context is in which Jesus speaks of discipleship. And so there, therefore a disciple was one that would leave everything behind in order to follow his master. And understanding the nature of true discipleship in the Bible is, is important because uh, of the passage. There are two men, we're going to look at two men here in this passage, that claim that they will follow Jesus. So Jesus will teach them about what it means to follow him. And Jesus will teach us what it means to be a disciple of him. And if I can summarize the whole passage in one sentence, it would be this. Being a true disciple of Jesus means that you have counted the cost and you're willing to sacrifice everything to follow him. Being a true disciple of Jesus means that you have counted the cost and you're willing to sacrifice everything to follow him immediately. And so this section brings out the wholeheartedness of, 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 of discipleship, of following Jesus. There were people who were apparently willing to follow Jesus, much like today, and, and recognize his teachings, recognize that he was an outstanding teacher, a great master, recognize his miracles, but they were not prepared to make the necessary sacrifices to follow him as a disciple. And Matthew leaves his readers with no doubt that Jesus Christ demands wholehearted loyalty. So we're going to look at three things here as we look at the passage. Two men that we're going to study here, but we're going to look at three things of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Here's number one. A true disciple does not belong in the crowd of false followers. A true disciple does not belong in a crowd of false followers. Look at verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave command to depart to the other side. Jesus has just performed all these amazing miracles. He's taught like one with authority, not like the Pharisees. So people are amazed. And people are amazed at his power and his teaching. So there was already a crowd. A crowd that is growing larger and larger. As the miracles get greater and greater, and as the teaching um, it challenges the Pharisees. And so the crowd is growing. And in fact, about 40 times in the Gospels, we are told that Jesus had a crowd around him. And so his response to the crowd would vary. Sometimes, like in Luke 14, he would turn to the crowd and said. If anyone wishes to come to me and does not, you know, leave his father and mother and brother and, 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 and his own life for my sake, cannot be my disciple. If you don't carry your own cross, you cannot be my disciple. So Jesus confronts the crowd the majority of the times. But on other occasions, like this one, I find it interesting because I love, I mean, I'm an I'm evangelist, I'm a pastor, right? I'm a missionary. And so I have a crowd around me and they come to me. I'll take the opportunity to preach the gospel. But Jesus departs from the crowd. It's interesting to me that he moves from the crowd. You know who goes with Jesus? Who goes to the other side as it were? His disciples. Because the, the concept of a crowd in the gospels is a big one. 
I didn't realize it until I started looking into it. Forty times at least, um, it is said that Jesus had multitudes. And so a crowd, in a crowd, you can be anywhere, anyone you want to be. You don't have to be committed. You don't have to be a disciple. You just have to be there and look like one. You, you know, you're there to see most of the time what happened or what's happening. You're there to see because somebody invited you. You're there because, um, you know, the miracles are great. He says in John chapter 6 to people, you're following me because you, I, you saw me feed the 5,000. And so this crowd in its majority, in its, you know, in, in, in the most basic sense, there's there because Jesus is amazing in, in his teaching and in his miracles. And so Jesus is not looking for a crowd. He never looks for a crowd. He would rather have one disciple that is fully sold out to him, has repented and is following him, than a thousand people in a crowd that are lost without him. And so Jesus gives orders to the disciples to leave the crowd behind and to get on the boat and to go to the other side. His disciples get on the boat with him because they follow him anywhere he goes. But the crowd stays behind because the miracles are done for today. Because the master is done. Now also this shows us the humanity of Jesus, right? As much as he would preach the, to the crowd, I mean, he's tired. The next section shows us Jesus sleeping on a boat. You remember that? And so... Jesus is tired too, and he's going to speak of his humanity here. It's very, it's very important. Um, we'll get to it in a second. But what is the problem with crowds? What is the problem with crowds? In a crowd, you're just one more face. You can hide in the multitude. You don't have to be holy. You just have to pretend and be a Christian on Sunday. In the crowd, you feel safe because you're one more face. But Jesus does not want a crowd. He wants true disciples. His disciples follow him to the other side as it were. So his disciples get in the boat with him as it were. You see, I, one of my greatest uh, burdens is this idea of a crowd. Because... There's a crowd in Africa that claims to be Christian that don't know Jesus Christ. Anyone I ask, I've never heard anyone said, I'm not a Christian. Never in Zambia. But they mean different things. I was born in a, in a Christian country. Most of them, they're Christian because they're Zambians. And it was declared a Christian nation. Some are Christians because they're not Muslims. Some are Christian because that's what everybody says. Some are, um, like some churches, make people wear uniforms for church. Like an army, you know, kind of thing. And, and when did you become a Christian? When I put on my uniform. Because a white shirt represents, you know, the, the washing of my sins. And, and, and the red vest, uh, you know, the blood of Jesus. The black shoes, my sins that were put away. And, you know, when I put on my uniform. There was a big false prophet down the road from us, and uh, he would give his people Christian IDs, which said, this certifies that so-and-so has been born again. 
When did you become a Christian? When they gave me my ID. Then on Sunday, there are Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Africans are very expressive in dancing and chanting and Jesus, Jesus. And then on Monday, which doctor visit? Because Jesus didn't work out for you. And there are crowds and thousands and thousands of people flock to these churches where pastors are performing miracles every single day. And, you know, they were hiding during COVID, but then they're always performing healings and, you know, miracles and all that. I I heard this pastor saying that he can do miraculous weight loss. What in the world? (laughs) In the name of Jesus, lose weight. Sign me up, right? <laughs> or another guy said he could do miraculous hair growth. If you're going bald, he can grow your hair. In the name of Jesus, receive hair. I don't have that problem yet, but... <laughs> um, but imagine, things that are just... Uh, even things like that has been... They have been Christianized. But there is a multitude that is following false gospel. And Jesus does not want a crowd. But you know what is sad, brethren? That in our churches, sometimes we have people that are only in a crowd. That don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe a young person here that has grown up in a good Christian home, in a good church like this one, hearing the gospel all the time, but has never bought it. They've never believed. They look like one, but they don't believe. I worked at a Christian school in our city, Baptist, and it's a great church, great school. My, one of my greatest sorrows is to see how many of those kids went off to college, or after college just walked away from the faith. Because they were part of the crowd only. They were there. They got all the blessings, they heard all the truth, but they never believed. And maybe there is somebody here that thinks that being a Christian just means being there, looking like one, going to a church, attending. That's not what Christianity is all about. That's what the world has made it, but that's not what Jesus said. And Jesus here confronts the multitude, and and, and one person from the multitude, and, and Jesus does not want a crowd. He wants disciples that are true. And that are following him. So being a disciple means that you're not part of the crowd. And let me ask you this. Have you come out of the crowd? Have you repented of your sins? Have you given your life to Jesus? And are you following him? Have you gone with Jesus to the other side as it were? Or are you staying behind with the crowd? You don't have to be holy. You just have to, you know, punch in and punch out on Sunday. And sadly, you know what's sad? That sometimes Christians live as if they belonged in a crowd. You know? Barely scraping by. You know? And Jesus does not want a crowd. He wants true disciples. So the first thing we see here is that A true Christian does not belong in the crowd of false followers. Um, Number two. Look at the second thing we see here. Look at verse 19. Then a certain scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Here's the second thing. A true disciple is willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus. 
and trust in Him. A true disciple is willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus and to trust in Him. It was customary for a would-be disciple to pick a rabbi to be his mentor. Almost like some people today, right, look for universities, they're college shopping, right? Well, I can afford this one, this one will take me in, this one won't. Oh, I have money and I have, you know, a good education, maybe I can make it to a good college. And So you would find a rabbi and you would ask him to follow, to, if you could follow him and become his student. Well, here is this man. He's decided that Jesus is the master and the teacher he wants to follow. And so this man is thinking probably most likely about glamour. He thinks that following Jesus is better for his career and fame. And we will see that from Jesus' answer to him. But before that, we have to understand who this man is. He's a scribe. That's very important. He's already educated. He could, maybe he was young, but he could potentially at some point be a teacher, a rabbi, because he's educated. Right? He probably just finished scribe school or something. right? And so he already has education. He is, uh, he's, a, he's knowledgeable of the Old Testament. So these guys knew the Bible well. They were the scholars. So any rabbi would have been thrilled to have a scribe as their student. So, we don't doubt his sincerity, right? He's sincere. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. He's very enthusiastic. It's like, you know, the, 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 the parable of the sower, right? Very enthusiastic, but doesn't have any roots. Does not understand. He has no idea what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, because of his response to him, um, we probably can say that his intentions, or we safely say that his intentions were not real. So he's thinking about ease and comfort. He's thinking this is going to enhance his career. I, I like to think that, um, um, that he's thinking, you know, about prestige. I mean, most scribes were educated, right? So he wanted to follow a unique rabbi. And Jesus is the most famous rabbi right now. He's the one performing miracles. No one else is doing that. He's teaching differently. So he wants to be associated with the wonders and is at the center of all the action. He's thinking probably about a good resume. That was important to us to ascribe. Um, imagine your credentials say, disciple of Jesus, <laughs> the one that casts out demons. Position in among the students, there would always be one that was like the senior student, right? Um, and he's probably thinking, hey, these guys are a bunch of fishermen. I can probably make it up the ranks easily. Now, we can only assume, right? But that's considering the culture of discipleship back then. But what it is true is that he is confused. He has not sat down to count the cost. He thinks it's easy. He has no idea what it means to follow Jesus. He saw the crowds. He saw the miracles. And he saw people's enthusiasm. And he thought it would be great to be associated with the one that was at the center of it. He truly wanted to follow Jesus. But he didn't understand that Jesus was not like the other masters. Jesus is not like the false religions of the world. That all, require, all that they require from you is certain rituals to do some external things. 
to pray a certain amount of prayers, to give a certain amount of money, to do a, uh, you know, a few rituals and things, and you're okay, and you're holy, and you're good. Jesus is not like the worldly masters. And this man is thinking he was like another, like just one of the other masters. And he failed to understand the cost of being a true disciple. Self-denial, sacrifice, serving, and suffering. Self-denial, sacrifice, serving, and suffering. He wanted comfort without a cross. He didn't understand that this path led to the cross. He did not want self-denial, sacrifice, serving, and suffering. He wanted ease and comfort, prestige, and glamour. He didn't count the cost. He's sincere, but he didn't count the cost. Now, Jesus says to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a home. What Jesus is saying is, I mean, a, a, a hole in a, in, in, a bird, in a bird's nest is nothing great, right? But Jesus didn't have a home. Now, commentators, you know, they, they, they argue as to whether Jesus actually had a house. I mean, he went and, you know, he, he was with Peter a lot in Capernaum. Peter's home was probably his home in a sense. Um, some people say he had a home in Nazareth. Maybe that's not the point of the passage. In his itinerary ministry, he didn't have a permanent home. And he tells that to the man. He says, a fox has more than I do. So that's what it means to follow me. Are you willing to sacrifice? That's our second point. Are you willing to sacrifice everything to follow the master and trust in him? This isn't a bed of roses, he's saying to him. Now, and that's emphasized to the, to the greatest degree with his title that he uses here. He says, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. This is interesting because this is the first time that the title the Son of Man appears. Now, we know of it. In his incarnation, Jesus Christ took on humanity. So it emphasizes his humanity. And Jesus is using the title the Son of Man for the first time because in his humanity, he was dependent on the Father. He prays to him. He provides for him. Right? The Holy Spirit ministers to him. So he's dependent in his humanity. We see in the next section that he's sleeping. At some point he's hungry. So he's showing this man, the son of man, I am dependent on the father. Are you willing to sacrifice everything and to trust in the Lord for everything? For the most basic necessities of life. Just like the son of man. Isn't that amazing? Jesus does not turn the guy down. He doesn't send him away, but he clarifies what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you're thinking about Christianity. And I can tell you, it's not a bed of roses, but it is the greatest life you can have. I one day evangelizing, I came across a man that said, I don't want to become a Christian because I don't want to be a slave. I won't be able to 
party like a crazy person, right? <laughs> I won't be able to get drunk as much as I want. I won't be able to live and live in debauchery as I want. And, you know, I don't want to be a slave. I said, my friend, you are a slave. What Jesus wants to give you is freedom. He wants to give you freedom. You are a slave. And you just don't know it. You don't understand. You're doing what your sinful you know, will wants to do. And Jesus here calls him to suffer. And many people exchange a little drop for a whole ocean of eternity. Little drop of this life, what this life has to offer. And they exchange it for the, you know, they, they disregard the ocean of wealth that God wants to give you in eternity of bliss. Jesus calls us to sacrifice everything for Him. It isn't a bed of roses. Jesus didn't have an earthly home because His final home was not here. We're so obsessed with making, you know, building castles on the sand. That won't stand. But Jesus didn't have time for that. Jesus calls us to follow him. And he says, I don't have a home. I didn't have a home. Are you willing to sacrifice to follow me? So this man doesn't count the cost. He thinks it's easy. And Jesus calls us to deny ourselves to follow him. Are you Christian, Christian friend, are you not tired of dragging your feet spiritually? Are you not tired of being like the scribe that thinks that it's all easy and that it's all comfort? What does your Christianity cost you? I read a statistic, I don't know if it's true or not, but it said that 90% of American Christians have never shared the gospel with somebody. And I don't mean, you know, many people think sharing the gospel, oh, I invite my neighbor to church or I invite him to a to a concert at Christmas or Easter service. That's not sharing the gospel. But confrontationally say, you have sinned, you're on your way to eternal damnation, and you need Jesus Christ. Because we're so afraid of being rejected. You know what many Christians say is, I'm building relationship with, I'm building a relationship with my neighbor. And it's been a 20-year relationship, and they never heard the gospel from you. You know? I'm not, obviously you have to build relationships for the purpose of the gospel, but you have to preach the gospel. Jesus was rejected. I mean, what do we expect? So here Jesus shows us that we must sacrifice everything to follow him. Right? Now look at the third thing. I was was about to say I'm almost done, but no. Um, (laughs) Um... I'm glad I didn't lie. (laughs) Let's move on. Okay. Number three. um, Verse 21. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. A true disciple does not give any conditions, but follows him immediately. It's the third thing we see here. A true disciple does not give Jesus any conditions, but follows him immediately. We're now introduced to a second would-be disciple. A man that gives Jesus a condition before he's able to follow him. 
In fact, this guy seems to be more sincere. Watch what he says to him in verse 21. He said to him, Lord. He doesn't just say teacher. He goes beyond. And he says, Lord. He's acknowledging the lordship of Jesus. Now Matthew refers to another of his disciples. This does not mean that he was one of the twelve. The word disciple is used in many different contexts. And so we have to understand it within the context. So this is a man probably that has been following him, Jesus, around. So in that sense, he could be a disciple in the general sense, right? That he's probably gone from town to town seeing Jesus. And now he's ready, what we see here, he's ready to make a deeper commitment. To become part of the inner circle. In a sense, he says, I got to get serious. And I got to submit to the Lord. So that's what's happening here. He has heard his teachings, he has seen his power, so he is sincere in his desire to follow Jesus. So in a wider sense, he's a disciple, but not in the ultimate sense uh, like the other disciples. So he wants to be serious. He has gotten his feet wet, as it were, and now he claims he's ready to jump in the deep end. And so he says, Jesus, I'll follow you. Lord, sorry, Lord, I will follow you. And remember what it means to follow, right? To become a disciple. You leave everything and everyone behind. So this is real. He knows. He's counted the cost and he looks at it and says, I'll follow you, Lord. Then he comes a but. Right? But. I always say that anything that is said before but doesn't mean anything. <laughs> okay? You know? Oh, you're a very nice person. You're very intelligent. You know, I like you, but erase that, okay? <laughs> what matters is what comes after. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, honey, I really like your cooking. You're very beautiful, but, you know, geez, I'll get you men in trouble. Let me move on. Um, where was I before you interrupted me? Uh, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> So he says, but, right? Look at verse 21. Let me go and bury my father. And Jesus basically says, no. In, in short, right? Jesus says, no, right now. Follow me right now. At first glance, it seems that Jesus is insensitive, right? Man, the man's father has just died. Can you at least go and make, let him go make the funeral arrangements, right? Didn't Jesus also cry when his friend Lazarus died? He was there and he wept, the Bible says. Jesus wept. So he understands the pain of death. And it's a man's father. And as a son, probably the firstborn son, it's his responsibility. So let him go and bury the father. It's just, they, Jewish people usually buried within 24 hours. So, let him go bury him. But that's not what's happening here. What is happening is that it's a twofold thing here, cultural thing. Number one, he's a man, right? Um, and he's a man of the, he's a son, so there are expectations on him from the father. So the father most likely is aging, and the man knows that he has a responsibility to set the family affairs in order when his, fam when his father dies. We don't know how long that would be. The text doesn't tell us, right? But what is clear 
is that he has not died yet. So in a sense, he said, when my father dies, I will prepare the family, I will, let him, I will leave things in order, then I'll come and follow you. And in relation to that, and taking it a step further, which is the, the most important thing here, is that when a father died, the son received the inheritance. And that's the main point here. What he's saying is, when my father is gone, and I receive what is mine, then I'm ready to come. So Jesus, I want to have things figured out. I want to have a stable family, and I want to have stable finances. Jesus, we can use this money in our endeavors right so he gives a condition to jesus and listen i'm gonna make a pause here if you're here and you don't know jesus christ if you're here and and you have not turned to jesus there is no condition you have to surrender to him you've been here in the call of jesus said follow me he's saying follow me follow me but you're given conditions wait wait i'm not ready to leave my lifestyle i'm not ready to surrender i'm not ready to follow jesus does not allow conditions oh when i'm a little older i'm too young right now please at least let me do this 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 and i'll follow jesus oh i i want to just you know have things figured out then i'll get serious with jesus Jesus does not allow conditions. So this man is saying, let me have things figured out in a sense. Then I'll follow you. Can you feel what's happening here? Do you understand what's happening? Jesus says, no. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. When the Lord calls you, you have to follow him immediately with no conditions. I love this passage. I'm going to... I'm going to show you this passage in Luke chapter 5. Um, let me just take you to Luke 5, chapter 5. And um, in Luke chapter 5, you remember Jesus um, comes. He, he's going to call Peter, John, and James. Um, and they're fishing. They've been fishing all night. Remember that story? And they caught no fish, nothing. So they're putting their nets away. And it's morning. And they haven't caught anything at night. You're not going to catch it in the heat of the day. Right. So Jesus comes and says, hey, cast the net again. Go back and just cast it there. And they say, you're a carpenter. We're fishermen. We know what we're doing, right? We haven't caught anything. So, And then they reluctantly obey. And remember what happened? They caught a boat, which was about 18-foot boat, long boat, and full of fish. And they called their friends, hey, come, bring the other boat. And two boats full of fish. That's the catch of a lifetime. They would become millionaires that day. <laughs> but look at what happens. Um, Luke chapter 5 and verse 8. Um, verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee who were part, partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, watch this, verse 11, when they had brought the boats to land, they forsook all and follow him. They didn't go to the market to sell all the fish. 
the text is very clear. When they brought the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And at that moment, Peter heard the call, followed Jesus immediately, left everything behind. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus is calling some of you today. Maybe one or you do not know Jesus Christ, maybe more. And he's been calling you and saying, follow me. But you're not willing to leave everything like Peter, like John and James. Jesus leaves no room for conditions that you would give. And so they follow immediately. See, the call of Jesus is to follow him with no conditions. When Jesus calls you, you must follow Him immediately. You must follow Him passionately. You must follow Him selflessly. You must follow Him continuously. And you must follow Him permanently. There is no turning back. You have crossed the bridge. You have followed Jesus. And you have burned the bridge behind you. There is no condition. There is no turning back. If you gave your life to Jesus, this is what you're called to. With no conditions to sacrifice for him. When conqueror Hernan Cortes came to Mexico and conquered the country and defeated the Aztecs, the Spanish people had been on, on the boat for months and many had died at sea. And they were all trying to, they were all wanting to return to Spain. So what he did, they got to shore and he burned all the boats. There is no turning back. Now you're all in, it said. And eventually they defeated the Aztecs. So, that's Jesus called you. You're all in. Stop being so shallow, so superficial, so earthly minded. You know, if you have not given your life to Jesus, what are you waiting for? And if you have, why are you living a shallow life? You see, Jesus is not saying that this man cannot take care of his father. Jesus understands family responsibilities more than anyone. Because the Lord gave the commandment to honor father and mother. To care for children, right? In fact, when he's on the cross, he says, Behold your mother, behold your son. He's still taking care of the mother, even up to his last breath. So he understands that, but he does not allow family to come first. He says in Luke 14, If anyone does not hate father and mother and, and brother and sister and wife, even his own life is not worthy of me. Cannot be my disciple. Then he says, You must take your cross, which means you die to self. You have died to self. So, Jesus. Jesus is talking about a person that is so concerned about the things of the world that he does not have time to follow Jesus. He's so busy with secondary things. Heal this world. Why do you think Jesus put you in this world? Is it to have a, a menial job Monday through Friday, 8 to 5? Then you get old, you get a retirement pension, you go and play golf, then you go to heaven? Jesus wants you to be holy. Jesus wants you to preach the gospel. Jesus wants you to live like a true disciple. Jesus wants you to make disciples. Jesus wants you to sacrifice everything for him. Now, you might be thinking, if you are thinking in a worldly manner like sometimes I do, right? Well, are you saying I have to sell my house and become homeless and, you know, uh, run around and just, you know, rags, rag, raggedy clothes, and then just, you know, be a, and then I'll be holy and follow just, uh, 
doesn't, you know, if you're thinking that way, then your heart is not in the right place, right? Uh, what it means is that when you gave your life to Jesus, everything that was yours became His. Well, it's always been His, but you gave it to Him and you surrender it to Him and you say, my money is your money, Jesus. I'm just borrowing it and administering the money for you. And if Jesus said today to you, hey, you need to be more generous, then you say, oh yes, Jesus, is your money anyway, so let me give a little more. If it says, give me your life, Today, you give your life today for me. You say, oh, yes, Jesus, is your life anyway. That's what it means. It's all, it's all of Jesus. But we have such a tight grip on the things of the world, right? We won't let him go. And that's our condition. Follow Jesus. Oh, if things are good in my life... Then I'll follow you, Jesus. A little bit of discomfort comes, and we walk away. Somebody offends us, we walk away, right? But when your grip on the things of the world grows looser and looser, your love for Jesus grows greater and greater. So, the person that gives Jesus conditions wants to have everything figured out. Before they follow Jesus. Basically saying, I want to take care of things. I want to make sure my life is secure. I want to make sure life is comfortable. And then maybe in a few years, when everything is figured out, I will come and follow you. You know, I have this weird theory, okay? Um, You can disagree with me. But I believe all of us should be a missionary. I I believe so. That you should leave everything. And leave your family, your place, and go somewhere. Accept if you have a good reason to stay here. And the only few reasons I see in the Bible is because you don't meet the requirements to be a, a pastor or sent out, right? Or because you're here to support those who go. You're sacrificing so that others can go. This isn't the job of a missionary. Believe me, look, we make a lot of sacrifices in a general sense. I don't, I don't feel... Like I'm sacrificing my life for Jesus. To be honest, I don't feel that way. You may sacrifice us in the cultural sense, maybe, or some, you know, health situations, money, you know, and, and needs and all that kind of stuff. But when you look at the Son of Man who had no home, right? The only reason you should stay here is because you're really working hard to sacrifice so that others may hear the gospel. So why are you not going? Maybe that should be the, the question, right? You have to have a good reason. Now, let me end. Some of you, some of us, sometimes, I feel like we have been bearing our metaphorical father for years. You're not willing to follow Jesus the way you should. You're not willing to get serious. You, don't, you just want to get your feet wet. Anything that requires commitment, you run away from it. And maybe somebody here this morning needs to finally turn to Jesus. Today might be the day. In fact, today is a day when you got to get serious. I like to say this in the Bible, today is the Lord's day. 
You know, this is the day that the Lord has made. Today is a day of salvation. You know, the Bible speaks of today. Make good use of the time today, right? Tomorrow is the devil's day. Tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, James says, and we will make money. Oh my soul, many, many goods you have stored for many years. You eat and drink and be merry, but tonight you are coming for your life. Oh, tomorrow, later. God calls you today and He says, follow me. So let the dead, He ends like this, let the dead bury their dead. In other words, those who are dead spiritually need to focus about, or need to worry about the things that are dead spiritually. That don't have any meaningful, you know, that don't have any echo in eternity. The dead, spiritually dead people, they're the ones that need to worry about that. Not you. Here's the command of Jesus to you. Verse 22. But Jesus said to him, follow me. So that's the commandment today. This is what Jesus says to you. This is what he says. Follow me. Follow me. Christian brethren, you need to follow Jesus. You need to grab, you need to grab a hold of Jesus and not let go. You need to be willing to sacrifice, to trust in Him. You need to be willing to jump in the deep end. You need to be willing to follow Him with no conditions attached. No buts. Now, follow Him. Stop burying your Father. Let those who are dead spiritually worry about those things. Follow him today. Jesus says, follow me. Today is the acceptable time today. And if you're here and don't know Jesus Christ, this might be your last chance. We don't know when. Today, follow him. Turn to him. Trust in him. Your parents' faith, it doesn't work by osmosis, right? Just because your parents are believers doesn't mean that you also know Jesus Christ. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a Christian or that you're a disciple of Jesus. Get out of the crowd. You know where there is a crowd? In hell. People that were so good and moral and possibly behaved a little better than some Christians, but they just never had the righteousness of Christ. They only had their own righteousness. But today you can trust in Jesus and follow Him. So I hope this goes in your minds and hearts. And uh, may the Lord um, call us to follow Him. And may He give us this, the grace and the strength to get serious with Him. To follow Him immediately. Right? And to be serious with a call that He has issued to us. He's issuing the call to you. Follow me. Would you hear Jesus Christ? Would you have ears that hear Him? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would uh, speak what I couldn't say. That you would um, communicate what I couldn't communicate. And Father, that the Holy Spirit, the one that only alone can convict of sin, Father, he may do the work to convict us in the areas that we need conviction. And if there is someone here that doesn't know Jesus, oh Father, call him to yourself, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.